Greetings, people. How you doing? And welcome. Here we go again. Another episode here in store for you. We've got a lot of really interesting things to get into today. Um, the breaking news that I just saw within the last hour, the death threats that were posed um, to Poway Unified School Board members. We're going to get into that story. That's going to lead us down the path of talking a little bit about education and the recent elections. And I'll share my thoughts and comments there. Um, then we're going to kind of kind of hopscotch around and we're going to take a look at um, San Diego sports update and, you know, really kind of the pursuit of happiness. We're going to look at San Diego State punter Matt Ariza and the great season he's having. You know, he's a Rancho Bernardo High School uh, kid who's just having an incredible year getting all sorts of national attention for a punter. Um, so what a great story. We're going to cover that. I have my thoughts and comments on uh, last night's opening basketball game for UC San Diego and for San Diego State. And then um, if time is available, uh, we'll get into a few topics here in um, our local community in San Diego, specifically in the business um you know, category. We'll get into a little bit about real estate. Um, there's some interesting observations I've made driving down Highway 15. So a um, lot of construction, interesting things going on. So, boy, we got a lot in store for you today. Thanks for joining us. You know, we are live streaming on both Facebook and on YouTube. That means you're welcome to join us. So feel free to type in comments or questions in the chat on either YouTube or on Facebook. It'll appear on my screen. I'll read it on the air and we'll have a bit of a discussion here. Um, so let's get into the Poway Unified School District death threats um, that just came, uh, just become available. And this was an article that I saw just right before I was getting ready to come on to do this podcast. And it was in the Union Tribune. And the headline is Poway Unified to keep next board meeting virtual after reports that trustees received death threats. So, you know, trustees are essentially the school board members. There are five elected school board members. And the, you know, we got crazies out there that are threatening them. Excuse me. And, and according to the article, uh, Poway Unified School District trustees, trustees have received death threats and have had protesters visit their homes with stacks of manifesto documents, according to the superintendent. So what they're going to do is they're going to stick with doing their school board meetings um, by Zoom. And, you know, they, there's a pending investigation into this. Um, and, you know, they, the, the school district was only releasing very limited information. Um, but this is there's been a, you know, we've seen a lot of this chaos. I mean, we're seeing a tremendous amount of chaos in school board uh, meetings all across the country here in San Diego County at our board of supervisors. We're seeing disruption, essentially, you know, people that are expressing their free speech, but really on the fringes of society in some of the things that they're attacking um, our, our government leaders about. But in this case, I mean, death threats. I mean, my God, this is a school board. I mean, we're talking about the education of our children this is not something that needs to come down to death threats, but that's what's happening. And and then even at Poway Unified, 
at their meeting on October 14th. Apparently, two people were arrested for trespassing outside of the um, the school board and school board meeting. And then on September 9th, you know, all the let them breathe people, which are really the protesters that were objecting to the masks for school children, they showed up, had a raucous, um, disruptive presence at the school board meeting. It ended up getting shut down. And then that's when some of the the protesters uh, anointed themselves as the new school board, which is just utterly ridiculous. But it's incredible that we're seeing death threats here in our local community, Poway Unified School District that covers Poway, Rancho Bernardo, Rancho Penasquitos, Carmel Mountain Ranch, Saber Springs, Forest Ranch, death threats to our school board, which is just beyond the pale. Now, again, you know, there's been a lot, so much has been politicized across the nation and people get their cues from what they're seeing from others and political organizations are pushing buttons and firing up people. And the politicization of so much is going on is just getting to kooky levels here, not just at a national level, but even here in our little hometown of Poway, California, the city and the country. And there's Pete Neal on the live stream. Yippee, it's Wednesday. Here's Johnny. Yeah, so you know we do these podcasts. We do the live stream every Wednesday at 2 o'clock, and we invite you to join us. Feel free to type in your comments on the chat on either Facebook or YouTube. I'll read them on the air. But uh, death threats at Poway Unified School District. Now, I'll tell you, um, I know most of the school board members you know, of course, I, I've shared the story. I ran for Poway Unified School Board back in 2014 and uh, just missed it. Lost by about 1%. Um, and uh, that was in the in the aftermath of the billion-dollar bond, which was another big news story that made national news for Poway. Well, at any rate, um, you know, during my, my, my campaign in 2014, I got to know – Michelle O'Connor Ratcliffe, who's been on the board since then, and TJ Zane, you know, they both beat me in the election. Uh, but then I've also had the opportunity to interview some of the school board members like Ginger Couvret, who came in here to the podcast studio um, when she ran in 2018 and just a very pleasant uh, person, a, politi- a community dynamo, Ginger is. Um, and it's amazing that this is turning into um, you know, this highly politicized, highly charged um, situation where people are being threatened for their lives. Now, uh, you know, it's funny, back in 2014, when I lost the election, some of my friends, you know, kind of put their arm around me and they said, you know what, John, you dodged a bullet. Uh, and they meant it, you know, like, because, you know, with the school board, there's never anyone's happy. Usually people are upset. You're dealing with solving a lot of problems. But I never thought that that would be a comment that would be taken potentially, literally dodging a bullet. Because, uh, I mean, so now the school board meetings, I mean, they're on lockdown. They're not having the meetings at their headquarters, you know, in Carmel Mountain Ranch out there on the Avenue of Science behind Costco. They're not having their meetings in public. They're going to stay on Zoom and welcome public, public uh, speakers, I guess, on Zoom. Um, so it's just crazy. 
It's just crazy. Now, here in my hometown of Poway, the city of Poway, the city council, they've opened up their meetings, live in-person meetings. They're kind of mostly getting back to normal. Uh, but Poway Unified, once again, just going off the um, off the rails here. And what a lot of this is, and I just want to comment on this more broadly about education in America, and it's just so highly politicized, so highly charged right now. I mean, we essentially have almost like this mob mentality that have been showing up at school board meetings all across the country. Now, on one hand, you would think, hey, we got parents that want to get involved and want to speak out and want to do the right thing for their kid and for their local school system. But in this case, it's gone way too far. I mean, a lot of these protesters that show up for the Poway school board meetings, some of these that are making threats, a lot of them don't even have children in our district. They're just a well-organized group of of political activists, um, typically more on the right wing, you know, typically aligned with our, our MAGA friends on this. And, and like Ed Franklin says here, yeah, you're right, Ed. Everyone is losing their mind in every aspect of the United States. Ed, you are absolutely right. And this is infecting even our little town here in the city and the country. And so we look at this and we just say, what in the hell is going on? And But if you look more broadly at it, there's so many cultural issues that are so highly charged across America. Um, you know, we had, besides everything related to COVID, um, we had all of the, you know, of course, the protests in the aftermath of the George Floyd um, death and Breonna Taylor and a lot of the Black Lives Matter um, issues that, that were driving a lot of the conversation. But right now, it seems the school boards, there's parents that are upset about masks in schools. There are parents that are upset about critical race theory, CRT in schools. And it's just you're seeing gasoline being thrown on the fire. Um, and it really doesn't need to be this way. I mean, people, some some people, I mean, these are obviously extremists. I mean, it's one thing to be an activist and to be visible and to be critical of, of public leaders, to speak your mind in a civil and rational manner. But these people, the death threats showing up at the houses of school board members with manifestos. I mean, it's like the Unabomber is showing up at these school board meetings. I mean, it's just insane. Now, I will give Poway Unified some credit. Um, in the aftermath of all the Black Lives Matter protests, George Floyd killing, all of that in 2020, um, we saw some students st- step up and demand that there would be more education around issues like diversity, education around issues like ethnic studies. And they were able, these students were able to get organized, petition the school board and got the school board to react and create the, create this kind of curriculum in our high schools. And I just thought, man, that's freaking great. I love seeing that. I mean, we got students taking action, students taking action in a constructive way and putting together curriculum for this. Now, I think when they originally did it, if I recall, it was an optional course or maybe some of that content was flowing into some of the existing social studies classes. But now I think they're at the point where they're considering, or maybe they already have made some of these classes mandatory for students. And we can debate that. But I like the idea that students are taking an active role and trying to have positive change 
in a really, you know, in a constructive way. Um, now, I'm, I'm also of the opinion, like a little bit of an, a tangent here. You know, people will say we shouldn't be teaching religion in public schools, right? And and I have always been a huge uh, proponent of that idea. Now, obviously, we don't want in our public schools to be evangelizing a religious message. But it's important that our students are educated about all the differences that uh, that we have, especially in the melting pot of America, what all of the different cultures, different religions, different ethnic groups, you know, some of their history, their the their holidays that they celebrate, the reasons why they have a certain lifestyle. I mean, a lot of those things are very important for us to learn as students and frankly, as adults. Um, so I really like the idea that the students were taking an active role and got that kind of positive change. But now we've got these whack jobs showing up that are making death threats of elected school board members. I mean, school board, you typically think of as sort of the, how should I say, the the rookie level of being an elected politician. You know, these are generally, with some exception, they're generally just concerned parents that are very active in their community. Um, and these are people that in many ways believe that they are, um, you know, doing the right thing in terms of trying to make a difference in their community. But now these whack jobs are threatening to kill them, showing up at their houses with manifestos. I mean, what in the hell is going on around here? Now, I, I the, the school district already said there there's a pending investigation. Christine Pyack, who's their communications director, had very little to say in the article. You know, I think she was just announcing that the school board meetings would be virtual and that there was death threats. But they didn't go beyond that. Now, hopefully the police are taking an active role here. Hopefully the police are hunting these people down and holding them to account. I mean, it's one thing when people are maybe overly aggressive when they're giving public comments at a meeting. But it's a whole other level when people's lives are threatened. And frankly, when we, you see that, I mean, that's an area where police need to step in. And detain people that are threatening the lives of others. Ed Franklin on the live stream, a few more comments. The kids are not the problem. It's what has been bred into their minds by their parents and the environment they were raised in. Um, If you include religion, you'll see more whack jobs than you can fathom. Well, everyone's got an opinion, right? And a lot of this has just become so politically inflamed that no matter what, because there are all these culture wars going on all across America, no matter what these school boards decide to do, they're going to anger certain you know, pressure groups. And you get all of this resistance, this friction, this, this anger, this vitriol for a school board meeting. It's insane. So, um, you know, even like take a look at what happened in Virginia last week, right? There was an election for governor and Terry McAuliffe, who was the Democratic nominee, former Virginia governor running a second time. He made a comment that said, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. 
And oh my God, the um, the Republican candidate um, Glenn Youngkin, you know, you know, got a hold of that message and ran with it. Um, the Republicans trying to embrace themselves as sort of the parents' party, right? Further politicizing a lot of this. Now, for the record, I happen to agree with. Um, uh, I, I excuse me. I, I happen to disagree with Terry McAuliffe. Parents should take an active role in their children's education. I remember when I ran for school board in 2014, we talked a lot about how education is a three-legged stool. And it's the student, it's the teacher, and it's the parent. And all three need to be working in harmony, supporting one another to get the best education possible for those kids. Um, And I think there is a proper methodology. There's a proper process where parents can uh, make their opinions known about the educational content that their children receive. But what's happening now is, is we've gone so far into kooky land with the culture wars, the politicization of almost every aspect of society. But in this case, education, it's gotten so crazy that it's almost like everything the government touches is politicized in some way, even areas that the government isn't touching just because of the media, because of, um, you know, I mean, roll the clock back. I mean, before, back in the Obama years, I mean, say what you will about Obama, but in that time frame, um, once we got out of the Great Recession, but before Trump, things were political, but not to this degree. I mean, it's gone to a whole new level during the Trump administration and now in the Biden administration. I mean, we can, gosh, even back in the 80s, it was very mild as far as the political rhetoric and the heat and and the impact across culture and society. It still existed in the 80s with Reagan. But it just seems like it keeps escalating. And and I think a lot of this goes to the media and the way they kind of stir the pot. Um, I think there's been a, I mean, social media is a double-edged sword, right? There's a lot of good conversation by people, but then a lot of it is used for negative influences. I think we're seeing that. I think that's why a lot of people want to, you know, essentially flip the switch into the off position on some of this political commentary. I enjoy going there a bit. And frankly, today's podcast, we're only going to comment a little bit on this because I want to get into pursuing happiness, which is going to be the second segment here. But I'll tell you what, I, I, I'm a person, this is what I'll tell you what I believe, is that the, the, other things, the more the, the government is involved with this sort of thing, the more politicians are involved, the more political it gets. And we see it cascading all the way down to our local school board. So what we really, this is why I'm a, I'm a big believer in school choice. You know, when I say school choice, I mean vouchers, you know, where, you know, like for Poway Unified, I think they get in ballpark terms, they get about $10,000 per year per student. It actually might be a little bit less than that, but just to make the math easy, about $10,000 per year per student. In my opinion, if a parent is, you know, they're taxpayers, right? So their taxes are being used for education. If they were able to redirect those tax dollars to different schools, then we can ratchet down a lot of this politicization because then people can choose. And if people want to have their child in a certain curriculum where there are different values being presented, maybe a different um, teaching methodology that's being presented, or maybe they just want to have a different mask policy. 
in many of these cases, a lot of this, this rhetoric can be ratcheted down if we simply just give people more freedom. Um, and I think that would make a huge difference here because, you know, for how many people go to private school, it's probably only about 10%, maybe even less than 10%. Most everyone goes to public schools, government run schools. And when there's government involved there, we tend to have this sort of politicization. So it's just nuts, my friend. So I'm looking forward to hearing some more updates on this story. Um, hopefully everyone's safe. <laughs> um, you know, they were my political opponents, but uh, I, I really wish them to be safe, their family's safe. I mean, they know, no one needs to, deserves to be going through death threats simply for serving on a school board. My goodness. Now, speaking of just a little bit of a tangent here, well, here's another crazy story that was in the news, and it's kind of more in the nutsoville. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you remember one of the greatest NBA players of all time, um, who's had actually a very thoughtful person. We see a lot of him um, in culture, commenting on issues, sometimes being somewhat politically active, but a very intelligent, thoughtful person. His son was just um, uh, pleaded guilty to stabbing his neighbor because they got in a fight because the neighbor wanted Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's son to put their trash cans away. The trash cans they leave out on the street to be picked up by the trash trucks. And I mean, I saw this. I mean, I, I just thought, how ridiculous. And by the way, our trash truck came on Tuesday morning and our trash cans are still out there now on Wednesday afternoon. Actually, when I'm done with the podcast, I got to bring them up before we get harassed by some of our neighbors. But it, it, what's going on, people? What is going on? Some of people are just losing their friggin' minds. So, um, yeah, death threats at Poway Unified. So more to come on that. But what a just a crazy story. And it's just really sad. I mean, what, what, what are we coming to here, folks? All right. So let's switch gears a bit. Um, let's be let's be happier. OK, let's let's talk about pursuing happiness and let's talk about some good vibes, some good energy. Uh, we're going to get into, you know, Matt Ariza, you know, the, the Rancho Bernardo student who's just a media sensation. I want to talk about him. But before we do, I invite you to go to my website. You can go to connectwithjohnny.com, connectwithjohnny.com. Um, there you can link up to all of our social media platforms. You can reach me on Facebook, on Twitter, um, on YouTube, and all of our podcast platforms where we broadcast from, like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio. All the links are there at connectwithjohnny.com. You can even get on our email list. So I welcome you to visit us there. Okay, so let's get into Matt Ariza. Now, Matt Ariza is something. This kid is a, I think he's a junior at San Diego State. And I remember when he was playing football at Rancho Bernardo High School and going to the game, the Poway High against Rancho Bernardo. That's always a big game, Friday Night Lights. And my wife and I would go. And a lot of times, you know, my my son had a lot of friends who were on the team and we kind of knew a lot of the kids that were playing. And whenever that Rancher Bernardo and Poway played, I mean, it was, you know, it was like the Super Bowl for these kids. It was the big rivalry. Um, and these schools are huge rivals in every sport. But at the same time, a lot of them are really great friends. 
And it, Matt Arisa was the field goal kicker for Rancho Bernardo. And you should have seen this kid. I mean, when he kicked off, it was like beyond the end zone. Um, he was nailing really long field goals. And you're thinking, this kid, man, this isn't just a, you know, a converted soccer player. This guy's legit um, as a football kicker. He ended up getting a scholarship at San Diego State University. Good for you. And now um, the first two years, he was the place kicker. And they had another player that was doing the punting. And I think Ariza also, you know, kicked off, you know, when they're starting the game or after they score a touchdown. Well, since he's become the punter, this kid has become a media sensation because he can kick it so far. He is breaking records left and right, not just NCAA college football records. This kid is putting up numbers that are besting the NFL punters. It's like a video game, the way this kid, Matt Ariza, is playing. And he is a great young man. He's got a lot of fight and, 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 and uh, spirit. I mean, he's like an in-your-face kind of guy. He's not like that mild-mannered sort of specialist kicker that has to be treated with kid gloves. No, sir. This kid is tough. He's strong. He's focused. He's determined. And he's having a hell of a season. And I just can't, I just enjoy talking about him because it's so great. Um, there, there are times when he punts and the, the, the receiver will be 70 yards away from the point of, of the line of scrimmage and still Matariza will kick it over his head. I mean, he has, what's the average he's, he's punting. It's, it's nuts. Um, yeah, he's, he's just slightly over 52 yards per punt on average. And that in itself is tops in the NCAA. Most NFL kickers only have an average punt, like around 46, 47. He's at 52. And if you think about it, a lot of times, because maybe they've only, you know, have driven the ball to the 45 yard line. Sometimes you can only punt and get maybe 30 or 40 yards at the max, depending on where you are with field position. But sometimes when San Diego State has their back against the wall and they've got the ball on the 10-yard line and Matt Ariza is set up in the back of the end zone, this kid with his, his bionic left leg has been kicking balls that go 80 yards that are landing inside the 10-yard line and are just blowing away the competition. You see the videos, you think, these are fake videos. These can't possibly be real, but they are. Um, and the coaches and his teammates, they all love him because he's so darn passionate. I mean, he, a lot of times when he kicks off or when he punts, he's actually the first guy down at the end of the field making the tackle. I mean, how often do you see that when a kicker or a punter is going right in there to make the tackle, to, to lay down the hit. Um, so this kid is unbelievable. He's had two punts over 80 yards, six punts over 70 yards, and an NCAA record of 15 punts over 60 yards. Just unbelievable. Um, and he's, uh, what is it? An average is, yeah, I mean, the, the numbers are just insane. And I, I just think it is so great what this kid is accomplishing. Because it's a punter, you know, and he's been interviewed on national media. I, you know, he was interviewed on the Rich Eisen show. There's an article that I, I just read this morning. He was featured on ESPN.com. I mean, 
a punter. <laughs> and the fact that he's right here in our backyard, you know, in San Diego, went to Rancho Bernardo High. I mean, it's what a great story. And so apparently they figured out that he was going to be a great kicker when he was five years old. And he would go down to here in Poway to the North County Soccer Park. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's kind of near the intersection of Espola and Twin Peaks. And they have these sort of indoor soccer fields that are actually outside. And I remember when my children were five years old, it was their first foray into organized sports. And you get these little kids out there that are, you know, they're you know only a few feet tall and they're just kicking the ball and running around and having fun. And back then people were blown away at the power of this young man's leg when he was five years old. They recognized this talent in him and he just had strength. He had technique. It was kind of built into his DNA. Now the coaches say that the ball just sounds different when it comes off of his foot. It's it's almost like when you go to the ballpark and someone like Aaron Judge or Fernando Tatis is hitting the ball. The ball sounds different coming off of the bat of some of our greatest power hitters. But in the case of Matt Ariza, the coaches say the ball sounds different coming off of his foot, particularly when he punts the ball. Um, now, the great thing about this kid is that he's a computer science major, right? So this, you know, he's a he's a focused student. You know, he's obviously working. I mean, he may make it. He may go to the NFL. Frankly, he should make an NFL team, right? Um, hopefully he gets drafted. I mean, when was the last time a punter got drafted? Was it like Ray Guy in the 70s by the Oakland Raiders? I know there's been kickers that have been drafted, like Sebastian Kanik- Janikowski. I remember the Chargers drafted Nate Kading back, you know, that was back in the Ladanian Tomlinson, Drew Brees draft. I think it was all in that same year. But rarely do kickers get drafted. But this guy, I think, could. That means he could be entitled to a nice contract. I think it's terrific. But obviously, he's got a plan B in mind. You know, he's a computer science major. He's a smart kid, right? And and he's he's analytical about it to a degree. You know, he he studies his technique and he puts in the effort. I mean, he's in the weight room with his players, like lifting the same amount of weight as the linebackers or the defensive linemen. He's out there working his tail off. I think it's just a great story. Um, And he's also a golfer. So he understands the mechanics of the kick. He understands how to use his hips to get in there to get maximum leverage and power with his swing. So he's applying, he's not just a a big guy with a strong leg and just kind of kicking it. I mean, he's really focused on the detail of what makes him special and how he can be powerful as a kicker. And he said he's never worked harder in his life since this offseason. To me, this is the money quote right here. And he said, I remember texting my dad and telling him that I want this more than I've ever wanted anything in my life. And what he means by this is being the best kicker, the best punter that he can possibly be, to play at the highest level that he can possibly be. He is now kind of discovering what he's passionate about. He is applying his mind, his body, and working to to be successful, to get great results. He's building his self-esteem. This is the very definition of pursuing your happiness. 
And I love to see it in a young man who's probably, what, about 21 years old. Um, he told his dad, he goes, I think that mentality, you know, of wanting it so bad is what's really driving him. So this kid, he approaches the kicking like, like a scientist, like an athlete. He's thoughtful and he's also tough. Um, what a great story. And um, I, I just invite you to, to look him up, Matt Ariza, A-R-A-I-Z-A, Matt Ariza. Um, so many great stories, so many interviews, and so refreshing. And it's a young man here in our community, Rancho Bernardo High School, you know, played soccer in Poway when he was five years old. It's just awesome. Um, what else? I mean, I, I, there's a few other sports things I want to comment and. I talk about pursuing happiness, and that's what Matt Ariza is doing. But I'll tell you what, one of the things for me, um, one of the things that gives me happiness, and it is, I'm, I'm a big sports fan. I mean, if you can't tell, and a lot of my other podcasts, I've commented on sports, but I can't tell you how happy I am right now because I'm a graduate of UCSD out in La Jolla, right? And I graduated in the 80s. And back then, you know, our, our college is you know, still, to this day, a great academic school. Frankly, the academic uh, reputation of UCSD is, is higher now, greater now than it's ever been. But even back in the 80s, a very heavy academic school, a school I'm very proud to attend, a school that I had a tremendous uh, student experience there. But there was one missing piece to it all when I was there, is that we didn't really have a big-time college sports program which, you know, is part for a lot of people is a big part of college life. And we didn't have it there. And back in the 80s, UCSD was Division Three. We didn't have football. And in fact, they still don't have football. They probably never will. But they had, you know, I think the, the top team in when I was there was the women's volleyball team, which had won multiple NCAA Division Three championships, which is terrific. Now, Division Three, of course, is no scholarships, none, zero. I mean, the very definition of a student athlete. Now, of course, the players are still recruited to a far lesser degree than a Division I athlete. But, I mean, you know, tip of the hat to them, uh, to the, you know, the women's volleyball team, D3 national champs. Our women's soccer team was very, very competitive, um, always contending for the national title. The men's soccer team was also very competitive. Um, we, we A lot of our other teams, like their water polo team back then, was very good. But back then, they didn't have Division One, Two, II, and Three in water polo. So our UCSD uh, young men and women had to face off on water polo teams by USC and UCLA with these full-ride scholarship players. You know, a lot of times they get smoked. But I was still really proud of them. I went to a lot of the games. In fact, for, for some time, I was the PA announcer for the basketball games. So... Just loved being at UCSD, but they were always a Division three school. Well, then after I graduated, we got into you know the 90s powerhouse D3 school. And then around 2000, they went to Division two and moved up. And they became dominant there. And then finally in 2020, they now are Division one, And now they're big time. And boy, I can't tell you how excited I am. And last night they went out and played... Cal Berkeley and beat them. I mean, never in a million years would I have thought when I was a student at UCSD that A, UCSD would be playing a game against Cal. B, I'd be able to watch it on television. And number, and C, um, and C that UCSD would win. 
that would beat Cal Berkeley. I mean, you know, granted, you know, Cal Berkeley, <laughs> they're probably one of the weaker teams in the Pac-12. Their best player just transferred to San Diego State, Matt Bradley. But still, UCSD on television playing Division I sports, defeating a Pac-12 team on the road in Berkeley and defeating them soundly. They were like a 14-point underdog. They won by 13. It was like a 27-point difference from their expectation. I was just, I was so fired up yesterday about it. I mean, it's just tremendous. You know, I'm a big San Diego State basketball fan. I'm going to talk a little bit about their game in a second. But now that UCSD is is going D1, man, I've got like two teams now that I'm really following. You know, the Aztecs were always my adopted team. But now I'm just so fired up for UCSD. And I'll tell you what, these players, I mean, just great. Tony Rochak is like their top player. He's from Switzerland. And this guy, I mean, I think he had like about 20-something points. I and mean, he had a great uh, a great game. And there's another young man on the team. His name is Bryce Pope. Went to Torrey Pines High. In fact, I remember my son, when he was at Poway High and he was playing JV basketball, they would play Torrey Pines. And Bryce Pope was on the JV team at Torrey. And they played each other. And that kid was good back then. And I think, if I recall... Did Bryce Pope have a twin brother or were there two other twins that were on that team? Um, But he was a great player then. I noticed he got the scholarship to go from, you know, Torrey Pines just right down the road to La Jolla to UCSD. He had a great game. Um, I'm just so proud of these young men. And for me, this is just wonderful. I mean, you know, so often we get into March Madness and everyone's wearing their, their jerseys, you know, for like my son, he's at Oklahoma you know, we have friends that have gone to Ohio State or Iowa. And then there was, it was UCSD. We were never in March Madness. Now, there's a possibility of this. Now, granted, they're not eligible for the NCAA tournament or the NIT tournament for the next few years. It's like a four-year transition to being fully-fledged D1. But they're going to be there very soon. And the beauty of this whole thing, which is amazing, is... When I was at UCSD in the 1980s, the university took tremendous pride in the academics and particularly the research that occurred on campus, that it was a serious school. And back then in the 80s, they they almost sort of, um, you know, they they just kind of looked down on athletics. You think, oh, well, intramurals is fine. Oh, maybe with uh, Division Three, maybe that's okay. But we don't want any jocks. We don't want any so-called, you know, dumb guys here playing sports at UCSD, we take great pride in our institution. And I'll give you credit to the university and to their leaders. And what they did is they did something remarkable, is they said to themselves, if we're going to be a world-class university, if we're going to be the best university that we can be, we have to be the best in every dimension not just academics, not just in research, not just in student life. We have to also be the best we can be in athletics too. And I think a lot of these um, university presidents, chancellors, others in leadership positions, they also recognize the cachet that comes with having a strong sports program. But then the beauty of this whole thing is, is that the athletes that UCSD recruits, even at the Division I level, are all outstanding students. 
they're not, you know, a bunch of 2.0 GPA students. I mean, these are elite student athletes that are performing at a high level in the classroom and on the court or in the field or on the track. And it's just so fantastic. So the UCSD went up to Berkeley yesterday, defeated Cal on the road. They're going to be playing George Washington Saturday night at Remac Arena at UCSD. I'm looking forward to going. I know I've got to have a mask. I think I have to bring proof of vaccination. Hopefully, it's not going to be too difficult to go through that, to run that gauntlet. But I'm just so fired up about it. Just really excited about it. A um, couple more comments here on the live stream. Pete Neal. And Pete Neal, you know, of course, Mr. Corvette, he, we talked, we did a, you know, we're talking about pursuit of happiness here with Matt Ariza. Pete and I did a podcast, Corvette happiness, because that's what gives him his life meaning and joy is his Corvette Calypso. And he was at a, a car show over the weekend, the vet, the vets for vets, right? Corvettes for veterans. And he says at the vets for vets car show this last weekend, there was a considerable increase in the number of conversations about people being with people perhaps fertilized by the self-confinement created by COVID isolation. Yeah. The world in some ways is starting to get back to normal. I mean, these basketball games now finally have fans in the stands. Remember last year, the, the stands were essentially empty. I think eventually they, they allowed parents to be able to see their children play. But the, 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 the arenas, the stadiums were mostly empty in 2020. Now, those arenas are full and we're also seeing a lot more of a normal life coming back, especially for outdoor events and good for you, Pete at the vets for vets. I saw the photos you shared and I saw the full display you had out of the back hatch of Calypso and documenting all your road trips. It's like you have QR codes for all the places you've been visiting. And we've documented so much of that here on this podcast, your mission across America. It was a great, a great podcast episode. I encourage all of my listeners and viewers to go back and check that one out. But it's great that the life is starting to come back to normal. I mean, let's put aside these crazy people that are offering death threats to the Poway Unified School Board, showing up at their houses with manifestos. Oh, my God. That part's not going back to normal. Those people, that's a serious problem. Law enforcement needs to get involved. But we're starting to see life kind of get back to normal to a degree. And it's, it's just so refreshing. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about San Diego State basketball. They also had their opening night. So last night I had a doubleheader, right? The UCSD game was on at 2, and then the San Diego State game is on at 7. And I kind of rearranged my work schedule. I was busy in the morning, and, and then I was able to get my work done so I could you know watch the game at, at, at 2, and then that ended at 4, and I worked from 5, I mean 4 until about 6, and then got ready for the game at seven. So it was a, just a really great day for me. And the Aztecs won as well. They played UC Riverside. And the team, you know, it's a whole new look for this Aztec team. And, you know, I talked about Matt Bradley, the transfer from Cal. This guy is the real deal. He looked fantastic. Um, Trey Pulliam looked tremendous. The floater, the the leadership on the court, he was great. Some of the new guys, um, Chad Baker, Mazzara, looked really good. Um, even some of the young guys coming up, showing a lot of promise, getting opportunities. Um, 
it's just really it's a special time at San Diego State. And this season, they've they've really made they've built themselves a very difficult schedule. Uh, in fact, Coach Brian Dutcher was commenting that he may have overscheduled the first game against Riverside. Riverside, by the way, projected to be the number three team in the Big West. I think they project UC Santa Barbara one, UC Irvine two, Riverside three. You know, the Big West has a lot of other schools, including now UC San Diego. You know, UC San Diego, by the way, playing a full Big West schedule, but they're not included in the standings because they're still in that four-year transition to Division One. But, man, they laid down the gauntlet against Cal. So these Big West teams are saying, man, this UCSD ain't no cupcake. But UC Riverside, I was really impressed with them. I mean, historically, they have been a very weak program. But they made, they've recruited a lot of Aussies and New Zealanders that have come in. They've got some other talent. They looked good. They gave the Aztecs a competitive game, especially for game one of the season. But the Aztec defense, you know, just kind of wore them down. Um, but it was just a great game to watch. I was really excited about it. And, you know, Vieja Serena looked like it was about, I don't know, three quarters full or so. So it's, you know, the people are showing up just like at Pete's Corvette, uh, Vets for Vet um, event. And uh, George Geller on the live stream commenting, sorry, I'm late. Did you already talk about the Poway School Board? And I did. George, we commented about the outrageousness of the death threats to our school board members and the politicization of education, not just in Poway, but across America. So I welcome you to go back and watch the early part of the podcast. You know, you can also listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or watch it again on YouTube or on Facebook. But we kicked off uh, comments about the school board and then my history and connection with the school board. And uh, But yeah, crazy story. Um, but I'll tell you what, I mean, Matt Ariza, the Rancho Bernardo High alum, having a great season at San Diego State, a young man pursuing his happiness, focused on his craft, putting his mind, his body, his effort, getting great results, having great success, a very promising future for this young man, and really transforming the way people think of kickers and punters. Um, I mean, just I mean, an incredible story. And I'm just so happy for him, happy about what's happening here with um, college basketball getting started, life getting back to normal. So, like I said, I'm going to try to go to the UCSD game on Saturday night. You know, San Diego State's playing at BYU on Friday. That's going to be a tough game. But then on Saturday night, UCSD is playing at home at Remac against George Washington, which should be a pretty competitive game. But I'm going to start trying to go to more UCSD games now. I used to always go to the Aztec games, maybe two or three a year. But for UCSD, I, this is my school. You know, now I'm like, I'm like, you know, it's a part of me, you know, so I finally got someone to root for at the D1 level. So I'm going to be going to a lot of games. If you want to join me on these games, let me know. And I'm going to try to hit some of these road games. You know, the Big West, they have games that are just up the road. Fullerton, you know, Cal State Northridge. I'm sure UCSD will probably play Riverside just like San Diego State did. And who knows, maybe I might make a road trip up north when they play Schools like UC Davis, I know they have a game against Sacramento State in about a week and a half. You know, it's just an excuse for a road trip. And I think that'd be a lot of fun. And, you know, I do like to do my podcast about my road trip on my, in my electric vehicle and all the fun and interesting challenges and adventures that 
I experience on those drives, and we always document those as well. But I, I'm just I'm just really excited. If you can't tell, Aztecs, the Tritons, Matariza, it's great. So, um, how are we doing on time? We're at 47 minutes. I I like to make a few comments. Some interesting things going on in, in the business world here in San Diego County that I thought we could talk about. Um, and I welcome your thoughts and comments on the live stream. Feel free to type in your questions, your comments. I'll read them on the air. If you guys want to go back and talk more about Poway School Board death threats, we can go back to that. Um, but let me just say this. If you want to get more information on my podcast and the things that I'm working on, go to my website, johnreillyproject.com. JohnRileyProject.com. There I have all the podcast episodes. There's links to the YouTube channel where you can see all of the videos. And all the videos, actually, you can view them on the website. I also have a lot of free business resources there, um, you know, marketing uh, uh, resources, free white papers that talk about lead generation, that talk about podcasting, that talk about digital marketing and direct marketing, ways to help your business. A lot of those resources are there on the website at johnreillyproject.com. Um, also, I have some blog articles there, a bunch of other things, so a lot of resources. So I invite you to go visit that website. And you can also sign up on our mailing list and you can connect with me on social media and we can continue the conversation. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about business in San Diego. There's a lot going on here as well. You know, um, I saw a report they're they're going to actually be building one of those big hotels along. Um, it's, I think it's on Harbor Island, uh, and that's that's a pro that's a project we talked about you know a few months ago about big ideas in San Diego and the the port is going to be transforming the harbor. That's a nice interesting news story. I saw a news story about Callaway Golf, and um, or was it Callaway or? Yeah, I think it was Callaway talking about some of their innovations, but we're going to leave those for another podcast episode. What I want to talk about is today I went for a drive. And so a lot of times, you know, I, I have my own business. I have my own marketing agency and I work from home and a lot of times I'll go visit my clients. But lately, you know, with COVID, I'm not visiting clients as much, although it's starting to come back to normal. But every once in a while, you know, I'll be working and I kind of hit a point where I just need to kind of get out and I'll... You know, a lot of times I go for a drive and then I can listen to music, listen to another podcast and just kind of some pattern interrupt and kind of get my mind to expand and think for a while. And I just went for a drive and I went down the 15 freeway and I started in Rancho Bernardo. And I don't know, for some reason I was paying more attention to the things I saw along the freeway. And I don't know if you've noticed, but the Double Tree Hotel, remember that was at the intersection of Carmel Mountain Road and the 15? You know, they tore that down a while ago. They're building housing. But then there were, remember, we did a podcast about three months ago talking about the housing development that's going to go in at the Carmel, excuse me, at the Double Tree um, Golf Course. Remember, it's been dormant there along the 15, just west of the freeway between Carmel Mountain Road and El, and El Norte Parkway. I drove by today, then they cut down all of those trees. And I don't know if that's something that recently happened or it's been like that for months and I just didn't pay attention. But wow, I mean, we're starting to see this. That whole area is really going through a major transformation. I mean, they're already building housing right there at the site of the old Doubletree Hotel. They're building housing west of the 15 between Carmel Valley Road and Ted Williams Parkway. We've seen that. That's, they've been working on that for a while. 
And we commented on that in the last podcast. But then I was went further south. And at the intersection of Ted Williams Parkway and the 15 Freeway in the southwest corner, there's a new building that went up there. And I think I remember we talked about there was going to be housing that was going to go there. But this looked like a like a business office. It was like a large looked like a big Lego, right? Like a like a large rectangular four story building. I'm not sure what that's going to be, I'm, but it, I just really was noticing these changes. Then I start driving further south along the 15. And have you been down to the former site of Qualcomm Stadium right there, Highway 8 and the 15? I mean, the Aztec Stadium is going up aggressively and it's big. And it's exciting what's going on down there. Apparently, they've already laid some asphalt there. I mean, things are really developing. You know, that stadium is going to be ready in August of next year. They're going to have their opening game. San Diego State football will be playing Arizona to kick off that stadium. Kicking off, Matt Ariza will be there, assuming he doesn't get drafted after his junior year. But it's, excuse me, it's really exciting to see that as well. So, I mean, I, I just saw all this change. And to me, excuse me, to me, this is all very positive change. Um, we're, in many ways, we're seeing improvements, kind of transforming old, um, underdeveloped pieces of property and transforming them into something productive, modern and things that could really make a big difference in people's lives. I mean, all that housing that's going in on the west side of the 15 in Rancho Bernardo, Rancho Penasquitos, that's going to make a big difference in the lives of people that are looking for housing. Um, and we all know about the housing crisis. But it was it was just, I don't know, I just noticed it. I don't know, did I not, was I not paying attention? Have they cut down all those trees at the Doubletree Golf Course? Has that been, have they been cut down for a while and I just wasn't noticing it? It must have been a while because all the trees and the debris have been removed. So now we just sort of see the undulation of the the hills of the golf course and a bunch of tree stumps. Um, but I, I was blown away by that. Um, a couple other comments here. Pete Neal says, the death threats fall into the same category of the vitriol that has also come out of the COVID era. Obviously, a polar opposite to the person-to-person bonding the groups foster the vitriol. Yeah. You're right, Pete. Um, and we saw, I mean, it really started with this whole let them breathe thing, right? The let them breathe was this politically, how should I say, is a very well-organized political activist group that was showing up at government public meetings, school board meetings, in some cases are you know, county supervisor meetings, but actually let them breathe. I think it was mostly about the kids and the masks. George Keller says, yeah, the trees have been gone for a few months. Okay. Thank you. I guess I wasn't tuned into that. Uh, Thanks for clarifying that. Well, yeah, these let them breathe folks. I mean, they're just militant about not having masks in schools. I mean, it's, it's kind of like what's going on in Florida, right? George DeSantis, the governor there. I mean, it's one thing to say, that I don't want a mask mandate, but it's a whole other thing to ban masks entirely. (laughs) Um, So, and I'm of the opinion, these school districts, you elect a school board to manage the school district and the school board 
should be the ones that will be determining this policy and working internally with their group. And if the school board decides to have mask mandate, mask optional, I mean, they're in charge of the school. They should have that ability, that control, especially for private schools. But I would even give that latitude for public schools. And then at the same time, that's why I commented a little bit about school choice. Then as a parent, you can then pivot and go to the appropriate school that best fits your needs. So you don't feel like your kid's being forced to go to a school that doesn't align with your opinions on masks. You can instead choose a school that shares your values. Um, I think if we had school choice, I think a lot of this political rhetoric would be ratcheted down. Because then people could make the right choice for their child and their, the, the specific needs of their child, the interests of their child. If they want to go to a bilingual immersion school, they can do it. If they want to go to a school that caters to people that are pursuing, I don't know, like you know, some serious athletes go to academies, then they still get their education. In other cases, there are private schools, some being religious. I think if people want to choose those, they should be allowed to, and they should be able to redirect the tax dollars they're paying. Because if education is a right, as some people claim it to be, I, I don't necessarily believe that. But if if the state is going to back education, and if people literally, if the leaders of our of our state truly believe in education, then they should be empowering students to choose the school that's the best fit for them. Just like the GI Bill. The GI Bill, you know, for, vet, for you, know, you know, men and women, they serve in the armed forces. And then part of their compensation is they can choose to go to college. It's paid for by taxpayers. They can go to a public school, a public college, or a private college. Some cases, a religious college. GI Bill is like a voucher program. One of the most admired and successful government programs that exists in Washington, D.C., but yet we resist it at the local level. Um, a couple more comments here. Uh, Matthew Brannigan says, I hope they are making up for the loss of the trees elsewhere. Yeah, you know, that's a big story, isn't it? Like with trees, a lot of people are politicizing trees and making it a racial issue, you know, that communities of color don't have enough trees but the white people in the suburbs do have trees. Well, I think <laughs> I think we could find exceptions to that rule a lot. But it's nice to see that there's maybe an effort to grow more trees in urban environments and suburban environments. Um, yeah, I know here in Poway, we talked a lot about in previous podcasts about Star Ridge Park, you know, here in the in the center of Poway, and some people really freaking out that they're allowing Poway Girls Softball League to practice on those fields. Well. As part of that process, the when they brought in those lights for that field, the city cut down more trees at Star Ridge. A lot of people are angry about that. Um, they're reforming Poway Community Park, and they did a survey, and the people, one of the top things they wanted was more trees, more shade. Looks like Poway is going to be doing that at the community park right by City Hall. That's great news. Yeah, so to your point, Matt, I agree with you. Hopefully they're they're planting two trees for every one they remove. And, you know, no doubt if they're building a residential community there, they're going to be putting in trees. You, you know they will. And probably a lot more trees than existed when it was a golf course. 
So we'll see how it turns out. I, I'm optimistic that these development projects where housing is going in in Penasquitos, where housing is going in on Poway Road, and even here at, at, the, at the site of the Stone Ridge Country Club, the farm in Poway, I think we're going to see a lot of this transformation, new housing. It's also going to be a reimagination of what that community can be like. And I think we're going to see a lot more trees amongst other things. I mean, heck, what was built previously, like where they're building, you know, on Poway Road, where the was the Poway Commons, that used to be like a, a lot where they had public storage. There are no trees there, but now they're putting in housing. And, you know, if they're putting in housing, they're going to be putting trees in those communities. And that's exciting. Um, George Geller on the live stream says, if folks have a strong opinion, they should run for office and not threatening violence. We live in a republic where we have elections. And you're right, George, 100% right. If you got a strong opinion, well, first of all, if you have a strong opinion, you can go to a school board meeting and you can speak under public comments. You usually get about a three-minute window. You can do the same at the city of Poway. And you have to sign up in advance and there's a process, but you can speak your mind. You can contact your representative. And those are fair and realistic things you can do. In some cases, you can protest if you want, bring a sign. I've seen people bring signs into the school board meetings and not just a bunch of crazy right wing or left wing zealots, but even sometimes the employees that are representing their union, bringing in signs into the school board meetings. To me, that's that's fine. You know, that's that's uh, interaction, self-expression, free speech. Right. It's all good. But, yeah, we can't. I mean, the, the death threats, I mean. That's something that has to be taken very seriously. And our law enforcement officials need to aggressively pursue those individuals and prosecute them. And if they are showing up at school board members' houses with manifestos, you know, that is either A, more death threats, or B, harassment at people's homes. Those people need to be held accountable to the law. Um, and there's just, there's no excuse for that. We need to have a civil, rational conversation. That's what I try to make this podcast about kind of a public forum. We can talk through these issues. I invite guests here all the time. I need to do more of that, have some more guests, but yeah, we, there's a better way to handle this. And the best way is to talk it out. Threatening violence. Come on, people like the ESPN guys, you know, come on, man. Can't have that. Uh, Pete Neal on the live stream says the language and confrontations of our congressional leaders towards each other within and across party is not helping either leadership in the negative is not good. And I just read a story about a congressman, his name escapes me, but he was promoting a video or maybe he, an animated video of him with a sword, like killing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, and I, I didn't see this thing. I mean, but it's it's crazy. Now, I don't know if this guy contracted out to have it made or if one of his supporters made it and posted on social media. Maybe this congressman liked it or retweeted it or something. I don't know. But you're right, Pete. There's ridiculous rhetoric and, and inflamed, inflamed commentary that's happening in D.C. And a lot of it driven by media. A lot of this, all largely about cultural issues. Sometimes it makes me wonder if this is just all orchestrated. 
you know, they get people hung up on all these cultural issues, CRT, masks, um, you know, we can go down the list of all the hot button topics, Black Lives Matter, I mean, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, every one of those issues, is, there's a worthy conversation to have. But sometimes I wonder if certain people behind the scenes, like marionettes managing a puppet, they're, they're like magicians, you know, they get us attracted to a shiny object. They get our attention distracted, where meanwhile, on the other hand, is manipulating the system and enriching other people at the expense of others. I think we saw a lot of that in the aftermath of COVID with the, the bucket loads of corporate welfare that were dished out. While everyone was in hysteria about managing the virus, many other people, you know, business people in cahoots with politicians saw it as an opportunity to load up their pocketbooks. And boy, did they cash in. I mean, how many trillions of dollars have been spent in the aftermath of this COVID crisis in the form of corporate welfare? It's insane. Sometimes, I, again, I think a lot of ways like CRT to me, you know, critical race theory is being blown way out of proportion. I mean, frankly, I don't even know if CRT is even being taught in high schools. Is it? I think it's only being taught in some colleges. But the way the protesters have you believe is that there's a revolution going on in our schools to either, um, what's the right word, kind of racially charge a lot of our educational content. Again, uh, what we need when it comes to racial issues in education is teaching students so they understand and again, a tip of the hat to the students that I can't remember their names is two, I think they were two sisters and they went to Westview High or was Mount Carmel High. And they were able to persuade Poway Unified School Board to implement ethnic studies, diversity studies. I mean, good on them. Inclusion. More students learn about this, the more we have an understanding of people that are different from us then the better we can interact and engage with people all around the world, including people in our community. I mean, here, I'm, you know, we're in Poway. Remember the big story in Poway a couple of years ago? Remember that was the Poway synagogue shooting. Oh, it's a horrible event. Puts Poway again in the national news for negative reasons. But a young man, I think he was like around, was about 20 years old. And he brought a, I don't know, it's like an automatic weapon or something. And he brought it to the Poway uh, Chabad, which is really only about a mile, mile and a half from my house. And just started shooting, killed one person, injured others. And it was all because he hated Jewish people. And he was obviously, you know, um, inflamed by the rhetoric online. But if we had like comparative religion studies, I think in our schools that would teach students about all the different cultures their history, their beliefs. I think that will go a long way to gain a better understanding of all these different groups. And so we can better engage with people around the world and understand differences and respect differences. So um, 
couple more comments here. Pete Neal says, nine years of my college education where my major was car payments one and two was via the GI Bill. Right on. And I still thank those people that allowed me to do that with their taxes while I was in. So, yeah, the GI Bill is um, an additional form of compensation the federal government gives to, you know, military when they when they when their service is done, then they can go to college. I think it's a great program. I mean, the GI Bill is supported by 99% of people in America, but it's really a school voucher program. You know, people don't like school vouchers for K through 12 because they get freaked out. You're like, oh my God, you are going to be taking money away from public schools. That's nonsense. That's like if a person is shopping at one grocery store and then decides to shop at a different grocery store, you're not taking money away from the first grocery store. People have an odd perception of this. And then other, the other huge objection to school choice to vouchers for K through 12 is people don't want their tax dollars going to religious schools. But they do it with the GI Bill. The GI Bill can be used at a religious school. So good on you, Pete, for using. I, I think it's a great program. And it's a great way to offer compensation that is valuable, that can help people coming out of the military to, to transition to a life as a civilian and be very successful at the same time. Matthew Brannigan says, we are going to lose a lot of trees in Poway soon, over a thousand, I think, but this is for fire safety so necessary. And yeah. A lot of eucalyptus trees like on Twin Peaks and along Espola that are just tinderboxes. And yeah, we, you got to trim trees. We, I did that on my property recently. When we moved in here in my house, we had over 90 avocado trees on our property. But the owner, our previous owner, had starved them and about half of them were dead. Uh, so we had to just hack them away and give our property a haircut. But now it's all coming back and it's great. You know, it's just you have to kind of do a purge, a cleanse, and then it gives an opportunity for new life to come to, you know, to come forward like a phoenix rising out of the ashes. So I think that's what we're going to see in Poway with the with the trees here. Yeah, eucalyptus trees are invasive. It'll be nice to see some more native trees. So more from Matt Brannigan. I agree with you. More comments here uh, from George Geller. Paul Gosser, Republican from Arizona, made the anime video. Yeah, that's the one where AOC was, well, what was it? Was she getting like, was it like some Game of Thrones thing with a sword or something? I mean, it's just silly, right? Like a comic book. Um, it's amazing how politicians are such part of pop culture now in a lot of ways. Um, George Geller says, I want Estonian studies. You know, I, like when, when I went to college, I was a computer science major. We had a class, comparative programming languages. Okay, we learned. You know, I certainly had certain classes for, uh, in my computer science degree where we went hardcore into specific computer lang uh, languages. But we also had a comparative programming course where we would look at the differences. Very valuable. When I was in high school... I was in a humanities class for my senior year. It was probably like an AP class before AP classes were a thing. And we learned a little bit about comparative religions. Not enough, in my opinion, 
but we got some of it and I thought it was really good. Um, I think the more we learn, the better off we're going to be. Absolutely. Um, so what else here uh, on, the, on the live stream? George Geller, thanks for your service, Pete Neal. George Geller also says the teachers union is the real opposition to school vouchers. 100% right. It's the teachers union and the people that support the teachers union because they see school vouchers as a threat. They see it as a competitive um, option that, oh, my God, what might happen if parents can choose? They may not choose us. They may choose a different school. But think about this this way. If we had an opportunity to unwind the almost monopoly that government has on education, particularly for K through 12, and we were able to have school vouchers, or even if, imagine, just take a leap of faith with me, that K through 12 education was privatized. But even with school vouchers, this would be true. You would see a lot of entrepreneurs coming forward with innovative teaching programs. We might find a high school that really specializes in computer science, for example, that teaches all of the core um, high school classes that are necessary to graduate from a, a public school and and in fact, be you know the the classes. What do we, what do they call them? A through E, which is for the UC uh, qualification. But they could have a whole series. Imagine a school like that have a whole series of elective courses just in coding. So if your kid was really interested in computer science, they could find a school that would teach them that and empower them to be a better student and to fulfill them. So they can pursue their happiness, just like Matt Ariza is doing so as a punter. Imagine then if we had a lot of these schools that came forward, innovative curriculum that could revolutionize the way we do education. I mean, it could be incredible. It really could be amazing. But we're so stuck in this model of government-run schools. I mean, with the exception, there are still private schools. There's a lot more homeschooling going on now because of COVID. But I, I'm just a big believer in giving people the freedom, the liberty to choose what's best for them. But a lot of people see the education system, particularly K through 12, almost like a jobs program. You know, the unions are not just the teachers union, but even the so-called um, classified staff, you know, the non-teachers, the administrators, the school bus drivers, the, um, the counselors, the janitors, they're all in a union, too. Here in Poway, I think it's the Poway School Employees Association, PSEA, I think is the one. Uh, it's very union driven in many ways, like a jobs program. And yeah, they're the ones that don't want vouchers. And some people will say, well, you're taking money away from the schools. But if there's a lot less students in the public schools, then there's a lot less need for funding, right? There'd be less teachers, less classrooms not really taking the money away. The money just follows the student. And we're starting to see more of this across America. We're starting to see more of a movement where states, many states around America are embracing the concept of school funding, not going to the school, but going to the student, just like a GI bill works, the school funding going to the student. So, um, yeah, I mean, just amazing things going on here in the world. Um, 
we got a little more time here. I, I want to make a couple more comments on San Diego business. I don't know if you saw this other story. Um, and here it is. And it's, it's in most of the major media. I think it's on the headline of the Union Tribune. This is an article from Times of San Diego. San Diego boasts three of the 100 most expensive residential zip codes in the United States. So who do you think are the, the three most expensive zip codes in San Diego County? I'm sure you could probably come up with a few of them off the top of your mind. What they are is Rancho Santa Fe, 92067, um, has a median transaction value of $3.4 million. And wh- when was this? This is for sales between January 1st and October 22nd. You know, the housing market's going crazy, right? $3.4 million is the median. That means half of them are above $3.4 million and half are below. Incredible. Um, the second zip code in San Diego County for expensive homes here in 2021 Coronado, 92118, the median 1.94 million. And then Del Mar came in third, 92014, at $1.85 million. And it's interesting is that out of the top 100 zip codes, I think, where did it say this? Did I have this in the article? Um, It was like something like over 80 of them, maybe even near 90 of them were in the state of California. Which makes sense, right? You, know, you got all the Silicon Valley, L.A., Orange County, San Diego County. I mean, real estate here going berserko. A lot of high-paying jobs in California. A lot of demand for housing in California. California, for the longest time, restricting development, thus minimizing supply. What happens when you have restricted supply but amplified demand? Econ 101, right? Prices go up. Imagine being a new uh, a first-time home buyer in today's market. Oh my God, it'd be it'd be hell. It'd be so hard. I mean, it was hard for you know me back in the '90s being a first-time home buyer, but now, holy moly, that's why I'm generally supportive of more housing development here in Poway, in across the 15 freeway in Rancho Penasquitos, and really everywhere, um, especially here in California. Their people need roofs over their heads. And I know the locals, a lot of them don't like it. You know, not in my backyard, NIMBYs. Got a lot of that kind of pushback in, in Poway. Especially on Poway Road. A lot of people freaking out. Freaking out to the point there's actually a recall initiative for our mayor, Steve Voss, in Poway. I know they're out there hustling, getting signatures. I wonder how they're doing. I invited the 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 um, organizer of the recall movement for Poway Mayor Steve Voss. I invited Chris Olps, the organizer of that initiative, to join me on the podcast. We're talking a little bit about having him come on. We haven't really set a time or a date. Hopefully to do that, we can talk it out. But amazing. And, you know, here in Poway, I mean, it's amazing. In California, you can have just like a, a run-of-the-mill house. That's a million bucks. I mean – Nothing special. It's a million bucks or darn near a million. I mean, here in Poway, that's true for as well. You know, my next door neighbor put their home up for sale a week and a half ago. And apparently he's already got an offer. And so it's pending. I'm dying to find out how much he's selling it for. Um, and his house is larger than ours in square footage, 
but his lot is way smaller than ours, probably half the size of our lot. So very curious to see what happens there. What's going to happen to this housing market? Is it going to keep going up? Is there going to be a crash like we had in 08, 09, where the bubble pops? You know, the Federal Reserve is talking about relaxing a lot of the printing of money and interest rates going up. Maybe. But you know what? San Diego is always going to have strong demand for housing. It's a great place to live. Quality of life, the weather. It's, it's never going to go in the tank like Las Vegas did or Phoenix did. But it's always going to be strong. But I do wonder, you know, are we peaking? Or is it going to still keep growing? It's like trying to predict the bubble. It's so hard to do. But yeah, that's something. And then I guess, you know, we, we could get into inflation. That's a big topic as well, but I'm, I'm not going to go there. Um, but, you know, again, I welcome your thoughts and comments on the live stream. I know Matt, Pete and George, thanks very much for commenting, entertaining your comments and questions. Love making this like a community forum. We could talk about San Diego County issues. We talk a little bit about things that are kind of in my neck of the woods here in North County Inland in the Poway, Rancho Bernardo, Rancho Penasquitos area. But, um, you know, I welcome your thoughts and comments. You know, we're doing this podcast every Wednesday at 2. That means it'll be live streamed on YouTube and Facebook every Wednesday at 2, with some exceptions. And then it's also the recording of this is available wherever you get your podcast, and you can listen to it. And this is episode number 259. George Geller on the live stream commenting, thanks for the video. It's good to have a talk about local stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I I try to comment on a lot of, <laughs> Pete Neal says, want to talk about redistricting? You want to go there, Pete? That's a, that's a good discussion topic. But, you know, um, I want this podcast, what I try to do a number of things with this project is making this a, a public forum where we can talk about local issues because there's not a lot of opportunity to talk about local issues. And especially when you're on Facebook, you know, there's some of it there, but there's a lot of screaming and yelling. And then God, you know, you go to these public meetings like for the school board, there's death threats going on. Oh my God. But here I want to make it civil, rational. When I have guests, I like to listen, have a conversation not a bunch of talking heads yelling at each other, but to listen and learn. That's a big part of what I want this podcast to be. And at the same time, you know, I like to talk about a lot of things about pursuing your happiness, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, big part of this podcast. So that's why I was so pleased to talk about Matt Ariza today and the great things he's doing. <laughs> Pete, want to talk about redistricting? Okay. You want to go there? Okay, I'll give you some of my thoughts about this, and I welcome your thoughts. So right now, they just did the census, right? The 2020 census. And that means they're going to change the lines on um, where all the districts are going to be. And it was in 20, what was it, 2016, I think, that in Poway City Council implemented districts and so did Poway Unified and, and a lot of other cities because there were these lawsuits. There was an aggressive um, law firm that was going after cities and other government agencies and really fighting the fight to say, you need to have district level elections because 
they felt that there were certain minority groups, typically racial or ethnic minority groups, that were not getting proper representation on the city council, on the school board, that sort of thing. And they had been winning these these lawsuits. And it got to the point now where most cities are saying, you know, if we try to fight this, we're going to lose. And so Poway and Poway, Poway City and Poway Unified School District both reluctantly went in and drew the lines. But of course, who draws the lines? Always is the question, right? You know, as voters, we like to think that voters choose the politicians. But in this case, when the politicians draw the lines and the politicians ultimately choose their voters. And we saw that. It was particularly egregious at Poway Unified School District, where back then, I think it was 2016, or it might have been before 2018. Um, but it, I think it was, it was before 2018. I think they did the redrawing of the lines in 2016, 2017. So the eight, 2018 was their first election with it. But for Poway Unified School District, I mean, this is the craziest thing of all time. And I'll share the story. There are five people that serve on that school board. And the, the school district, if you look at it on a map, is about 10 miles wide by 10 miles high or deep, you know. So it's like 100 square miles ballpark figure. Four of the five school board members, just interestingly, all live within a one mile radius of each other. And thinking, oh, my God. So how are they going to draw the lines? And you know what they did? They took that one mile radius where four of the five live. One mile radius, like a two mile diameter. In Rancho Penasquitos, four of the school board members lived inside that circle. When it's 10 miles by 10 miles, 100 square miles, they four of them of the five live in this one mile radius circle. And they sliced up that circle into three districts. Oh, my God. I mean, if there was ever a case of gerrymandering to protect the elected officials from maintaining their position, that was it. Now, the city of Poway also drew lines. Now, of course, they always work with a third-party consultant. The school district did it. So did the city of Poway, where they had a third-party consultant that comes in and does a demographic analysis, and they want to make sure that there's reasonable equity amongst the districts in terms of population, in terms of income distribution, and in terms of perhaps ethnicity. I'm going to repeat you telling me that when they drew the lines for the city of Poway, you were actually pleased how they drew the lines from the perspective of they got the ethnic mix balance reasonably equal across the districts. Now, the funny part of this is, is that the driving reason for the districting in the first place was to give certain minority groups, again, it depends how you define the minority. Is that a racial minority, a ethnic minority, a religious minority? I mean, what kind of minority? But the, the whole driving reason for having this districting was to give those minorities an opportunity to win an election so that, you know, hypothetically, there could be, I'm just going to make something up, kind of like in San Diego, they're considering this now, is having one district that's heavily Asian, you know, with Mira Mesa and Rancho Penasquitos, 
Um, there's just just a significant number of Asian folks that happen to live in that area. Now, granted, that's a huge broad brush because inside that there's Filipino and Chinese and Vietnamese and uh, Korean. I mean, go down the list. I mean, Indian, but kind of a broad brush. It's all Asian. Um, the goal of those that filed the lawsuit was to give certain minority groups the opportunity to win. But then if you make every district roughly equal uh, ratios of ethnic groups or racial groups, then then the majority, you know, ethnic or racial groups still has the advantage in every one of those districts. And it kind of defeats the purpose. So at least in Poway, what they did is they drew the lines to sort of cluster neighborhoods that have similar interests together. But even then that was, you know, there were a lot of holes you could poke in that one. Um, and the, the school district also, they try to have that equity across all the racial groups and equity in terms of the number of voters. And they were roughly that, but their main goal was preserving the seats for three of the five that were on that school board. And they achieved that. So now they're going to redraw the lines. Uh, Pete Neal says six years and they're starting the talk. The current lines followed 130 plans. Um, oh, I don't know. What are you saying? 133 one? I'm not sure what you're talking about, Pete. But now they're going to draw the lines again. And I'm fascinated how they do this. I know for the city of San Diego, there's talk about splitting Penasquitos in half, like along the 56 freeway. And I know that's something that, you know, the people in Penasquitos don't want that. But other people think it needs to be, you know, aligned, again, according to ethnic or racial um you know, along those those kinds of lines. Here in Poway, we'll see what they end up doing. Uh, now, what ended up happening is in Poway is the map that was supported by Mayor Steve Voss was the one that won out. Now, granted, the mayor has a lot of sway in this city. Um, the city council is largely aligned with the mayor, and. It turned out that the way the map was drawn, the people that were elected or reelected all just happened to be supportive of the mayor. Now, I, a lot of people want to shake it up, radically change the lines so that people of different points of view can get on the city council. We'll see. But if if the existing city council, once again, is the one making the decision on where the lines are drawn, most likely they're going to take the existing boundaries and just make a few tweaks to say, hey, we made the adjustment for the 2020 census. For Poway Unified School District, where the gerrymandering was outrageous, I'll bet you money that's what they end up doing too. Now, at the, at the school district level, there is one line of thinking that I think is a really good way to, to put this, is that, you know, in... In Poway Unified School District, there are six high schools. And forgive me for using this terminology, but we'll say five traditional high schools. And then we have a Braxis, which is, I don't know what the right word is for a Braxis, but there are kids that go to a Braxis that are facing a, a whole variety of challenges in their life, to, to be nice. Um, but the other high schools, Del Norte, 
Rancher Bernardo, Poway, Rancher Penasquitos, and Westview, five schools, five school board members, and each of those high schools has their own geography of neighborhoods that go to elementary schools, that go to middle schools, that ultimately feed into those high schools. That's an interesting idea, is to draw the lines for the school board aligned with those five high schools. That, to me, is very unbiased and is logical. Um, rather than some of these weird lines. Like, like for me, like here in the city of Poway, I live in District 5. Excuse me, District 3. I live in District 3. But I'm really, my, my, my area is really more aligned with District 2. But just the way they drew the line, this my little street got put into District 3. It's really weird how they drew the line for us. It's not logical. Uh, but I know there's probably a lot more egregious cases of this. George Geller on the live stream says, like people can't be represented by someone of a different race. Ever hear of a fellow named Obama? Yeah, that's the thing is, you know, I now speaking for myself, I don't demand that people that are in political office look like me or represent my ethnicity, my skin color. Now, some might say that's easy for you to say as a white male. Okay, I know that line of argument, but really what matters is ideas matter. Ideas matter. And whatever, you know, ethnic group a person happens to belong to should be irrelevant. Should be. Now, there is a line of argument to say that, oh, you know, there are certain ethnic groups that aren't getting representation and they need to be given representation. That's a whole other line of discussion. And we can go down that rabbit hole if you want, but I would hope that they can make decisions on, on boundaries that are more, I would say, geographical in nature, uh, because there are certain neighborhoods that are, are like-minded. They have, they face the same or similar issues with, with things going on in our city. You know, like, for example, the people that live along Poway Road are going to be heavily impacted by all this development. They should all be kind of in one district. But the way they drew the lines is they split Poway Road. You know, the south side is one district and the north side is split amongst three districts. So there's, a, there's an argument that could be made that the whole south part of Poway and a few blocks north of Poway Road really should be one district. Yeah, I could buy off on that idea. But I'm curious to see how they draw the lines. Uh, Pete Neal says, exactly, George, it's up to the candidate to determine what the percentages are for each. But that takes representative government, not an agenda-based politicians. <laughs> George Geller, where's my Estonian representation? We need an Estonian on the city council because you as an Estonian have very unique needs. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, once you start going down that rabbit hole, you could parse identities into so many micro segments, age, income, ethnicity. I hope they end up drawing the lines so that they're just, if you look at them as a reasonable person, you would say that kind of makes sense. Um, especially like for the high schools. I'm sorry, for the school district, aligning them with high school boundaries makes a great deal of sense. So 
What's the deal, Pete? Are they going to vote on the boundaries in 2021 and then use them for the 2022 election? Is that the plan? I think it is. Now, granted, 2021, we're almost out of time. So maybe those boundaries aren't going to be drawn until or, or decided upon until when? The end of this year, the beginning of next? You can't go much further than January, February, because campaign season starts. And people are getting organized around their campaigns around the beginning of the year. They don't file officially until I think, I think the deadline is in late July, early August. So Pete says, I don't know what the plans are. I'll be attending. But this is a fascinating topic because when politicians choose the voters, we get a lot of shenanigans that exist to protect the incumbents. It's just like we're talking about with school vouchers. You know, they, they want to block competitors to preserve their own advantage. That's what pu- public uh, schools or teachers unions, other school employees, they want to preserve their advantage and block competitors. That's why they oppose school choice. In this case, the incumbents want to block competitors, make it harder for competitors to get in. And certainly they don't want to draw the lines to put two or three existing city council people in one district where they have to have a battle royale amongst themselves, like a game of musical chairs for one seat. That's what they should have done at Poway Unified when you had four people living in a one mile radius, four out of the five school board members. In a 100-square-mile district, lived in a one-mile radius. That should have been one district, friends. One district. And it would have stunk for those candidates. Yet you were elected, and now suddenly you've got to now campaign against the other. They were saying we were trying to protect the interests of the voters to have integrity from the other election. Because the voters obviously wanted them in. You know, I mean, that's just an excuse to maintain the advantage of the incumbents. So it's something, but we'll get into that when those maps are presented and we'll break them down and we'll look at them and, and see what people think. Okay. What else? Anything else we need to cover today? This is the John Riley project episode number 259, a podcast all about pursuing happiness and talking about local issues here in San Diego County, particularly in the North County inland area. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining. Tell a friend, share this podcast with a friend, or you know, if you're at a if you're at a um, a ball game, you know, youth sports, you know, are always going on. You're sitting in the bleachers with another parent. Hey, there's this new podcast. Well, it's actually not new. I, we started this in 2018, but there's a podcast called the John Riley Project. You can watch it on YouTube, watch it on Facebook, the live stream every Wednesday at two, or you can listen to the audio only wherever you get your podcasts. Um, but Thanks again. Thanks for joining me. Um, And we'll be back at you next Wednesday at two. We'll see you later, friends. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor, subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, 
read my blog, or get more information, please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.